0: The teaching for this evening comes from Galatians 5, 1 through 12. This is God's word. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision This is the word of the Lord be
1: to God. well we 're back in uh, Galatians again this evening, and uh, as I have tried to remind us from week to week that this is one of paul 's uh, letters that he wrote in about fifty a d to a group of churches who were who were in crisis, we shall say they uh, were at best confused about the gospel. Uh, prior to, or subsequent to having understood it or been uh, exposed to it through Paul's ministry. And tonight's passage that we come to really transitions us from the first half of the letter into the second half. Uh, Here we transition from Paul's defense of the gospel to its life application, if you will. And in doing so, it hits on a central theme that runs throughout the whole book, but is uh, very precisely stated here, and it, that is the idea of freedom, of gospel freedom, of freedom in Christ because of what Christ has done. And uh, many commentators also, in, in the passage we're looking at tonight, uh, also see in this passage one of Paul's most uh, vehement attacks against his opponents. Uh, There's variation on what he may mean here in verse 12 when he says about these false teachers who are preaching another gospel that he wishes that they would emasculate themselves. Well, he's playing on this idea of circumcision. I'll let you sort of figure that out. Clearly, Paul is speaking with a great deal of passion because the good news of grace is under threat, a severe threat, and we're going to look at that a bit tonight but he writes with this kind of passion and vigor out of love for them out of love for these Christians because as Paul tells us here they're troubled in verse 6 and in verse 12 they're unsettled perhaps after Paul's ministry others they have come in and they've begun to question the free grace of god And along with that have said, you know, that's great as far as it goes, but you also need to follow Jewish prescriptions. You need to become circumcised. You need to follow God's law too. You need to pay attention to the feast days. You need to pay attention to various ritual uh, purity laws. And they're beginning to doubt and to wonder, to become skeptical of, is this gospel that Paul preached really the whole story? And Paul even says in verse 7, you were running well. Who has hindered you? They're now faltering. They're stumbling. They're not as confident as they once were. They're becoming fearful and insecure and unstable. And I wonder how you're doing tonight. While separated by... 2,000 years from this time? Do you feel like you're faltering? Do you feel like what you once thought was good news or held out hope to you perhaps doesn't? Or perhaps it's not all that it was cracked up to be or it can't quite handle the realities of your life. If so, Paul teaches us three things tonight that we need to gain our footing again, or as he says in verse 1, to stand firm in gospel freedom. So I want to look with us at this passage and look at the need for this freedom that he writes of, the danger to it, and then how to recover it. So the need for Christian freedom, the danger to Christian freedom, and then the recovery of Christian freedom. First, let's look at why do we need it? Here, when Paul says, for, fr- for freedom, Christ has set you free. And it's worth asking, freedom from what? Freedom from what? And if we were to, I just, in answering that question, want to remind you of things that we've already looked at in this letter together. Remember, in verse 10 of chapter 3, Paul writes, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. Freedom from the curse of God's law. The condemnation of it. What Paul says elsewhere that we all fall short of the glory of God that the message of the Scriptures is that no one can live up to the target or the standards of God's holiness, of what He requires. And in fact, my guess is that none of you, including myself, can even live up to your own standards, whatever those may be. Take time, perhaps, this week and think about the things that you expect from other people and then turn that around and ask yourself, can I even keep my own standards perfectly? See, Paul here he's writing about a freedom that's very specific. It's a freedom from the curse of God's law, the condemnation of it, the guilt that comes from seeing ourselves Imprisoned by it, as he wrote about earlier. Now, how does this freedom come to us? How does it happen? Notice what he says. Christ has set us free. So much of our toiling, our striving, our fatigue, our exhaustion, our anxiety, our insecurity is missing that basic point. That Christ sets us free. The implication is you cannot set yourself free. How simple is that? And yet so hard to believe. So hard to live out of. Listen to how Paul tells us about how Christ has set us free. In verse 4 of chapter 1, he writes, Jesus gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. And then moving forward in chapter 3 again, verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Chapter 4, verse 4 and 5, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. The result of all of that, Paul speaks to at the beginning of Romans chapter 8, verse 1, when he says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And the pinnacle of it we read of in, Gal- in Galatians 3, verse 26, when he says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. You're not just set free, you're welcomed into God's family. You now have privileges and rights that Jesus himself has and freely gives. See, this is the need for Christian freedom. We need it because of the curse of God's law. Jesus accomplishes it for us. But then what does it call us to? Notice again in verse 1, Paul says, Stand firm, therefore. If this is true... Do not waver from it. Don't get knocked off your feet. He says, stand firm. This is what we might call, a, a, uh, to give you a metaphor, gospel grammar. Here Paul is telling us that because Jesus has set us free, now you must respond this way. Because of what he has done, you can now live differently. Differently. Because you have been set free, therefore, stand firm. Hold fast to this freedom. Now, notice the opposite of this standing firm is to submit again to a yoke of slavery there in verse 1. And I want to linger on this idea of the yoke for just a moment. This is a a farming term. If any of you have spent any time around a farm or grew up on a farm, a yoke was something that you put on a beast of burden like an ox or a mule of some kind, and you would attach a, a wagon or a plow to this yoke. In other words, the image here is that a yoke attaches you to a burden that's wearisome, that's exhausting, that leaves dents in your body, that wears you down. And what's most interesting, though, is that if we think of Jesus, Jesus refers to himself as a yoke. We read it in our call to worship. Here, there is a yoke of slavery that we are always in danger of turning back to, and yet Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. I think that's a synonym for what it means to stand firm. To take my yoke upon you. What does that mean? Think about this for a moment. When Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, what's the implication he's saying? The implication is we are all yoked to something. And every other yoke will leave you lifeless worn out, exhausted. And yet Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and you will find rest for your soul. In other words, what Jesus is saying is if you want to find freedom, if you want to know this freedom of which Paul writes, Jesus must run your life. He must be the Lord and master of your life. You must become yoked to him. He is gentle and lowly in heart. There is no yoke that is gentle and lowly except this one. And he promises to give you rest for your soul. So you see, this is our need for it. We need to be free from the curse of God's law. We need Jesus who has set us free. And then we need his grace to be yoked to him, to stand firm. And Paul, while all this is true, he recognizes that there is an ever-present danger to this freedom. Notice what he says here in verses 2 to 6. He says, look, I say to you, if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Now, this, his use of circumcision here is both, um, we'll say, literal but also points to another phrase that we've seen earlier in this letter called the works of the law. Paul is saying, if you accept any other way of having a relationship with God other than in Jesus, Jesus is of no value to you. He says here again, I testify again to every man who accepts accepts circumcision He is obligated to keep the whole law. And then he says, you are severed from Christ. And then he says, you have fallen away from grace. There is an absolute exclusion. There is no mixture. Here, Paul is in no uncertain terms telling us that there is an absolute contrast, irreconcilably, between works righteousness and Christian righteousness. Self-justification and the justification of Jesus. There is an absolute opposition between God's law as a means to life and the cross of Jesus as a means to life. They cannot work together. Now, how does this play out? Think of it like this. Where do you find self-critique, self-condemnation bubble up in your life? Where do you look at your own life and say, there is total failure. I'm not being what I should be or doing what I could be. You might be right about that. That might be actually true. But what Paul is helping us to see here is that the tendency of our hearts is to try to figure out a way to actually attain whatever it is we feel like we're failing at. And he is saying, that's not a gospel movement in your life. A gospel movement in your life would be to say, I cannot be what I am called to be on my own. Jesus is my only righteousness. That enables me to be on the one hand both honest but at the same time to not succumb to despair and discouragement. Why is this so dangerous to accept what he describes here as works of the law or circumcision or reliance on my own effort to be okay, to know that I'm right with God, or even just to know that I am a worthy person? Why is that so dangerous? The answer is simple. It's because it's a move away from Jesus. It's a move away from Jesus. It says that what Jesus did isn't enough. But notice what he says here in verse 5. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. What Paul is telling us here is that the gospel of freedom replaces works-based righteousness. The gospel of freedom replaces our striving out of fear with a confident hope. See, here Paul is telling us that he's talking about our justification, our standing with God, our righteousness as something we hope for as a future thing. Now, Paul is not implying that You are not presently, if you are a Christian, presently justified right now. But what he is saying in the face of this situation in Galatia, in the midst of the false teachers who are saying, there's still more for you to do, to become. Paul is saying, if you are in Christ, you are righteous right now. And that is secure, here and now and forever. That's what he's telling us in verse 5. One writer puts it like this, that law brings uncertainty because we cannot meet its requirements. The gospel brings certainty because Jesus met the requirements. See, what Paul is trying to help us to see here is that only Jesus and his righteousness can remove our heart's sense of dread. Only Jesus can remove our heart's sense of dread, of fear, of insecurity. That's what gospel freedom can do for you. And therefore, he says, that Christian freedom has the power to transform a life of fear into a life of faith expressed in love. Look in verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. Why is this true? Well, the reason is because in Christ, you are free from proving yourself. The motive for living a life pleasing to God is no longer out of fear. See, all of us, to some degree, live out of fear. What Paul is saying is that true gospel freedom means that you can now live, not out of fear, but out of a desire to love and to know and to resemble the one who first loved you. And in turn, to love those that he loves. Why? Because you were secure. To put it another way, because in Christ, you now have the love and acceptance of the one whose opinion really matters. It's secure in Jesus. However, as I've said, verse 7, Paul tells us that the Galatians, they started out well, but they've been derailed by these false teachers. Come back to the question that we began with. How are you doing? Do you feel knocked off your feet? Do you feel beaten down by failure, by obligation, by a very sensitive conscience? Do you feel numb, hardened even? What about you? You see, do you feel severed from Christ? Do you feel like you're drifting from grace? If that's you, Paul helps us to see how can we recover this freedom? How can we see it for what it truly is again? And be turned back from all of the various ways whether it be accepting circumcision, whether it be thinking that your parenting is what justifies you, whether it be your performance at work, whether it be the opinions of others, whatever that is, how do we recover this freedom that brings joy and hope and a life of love towards others? Paul actually mentions, I think, three things, and I'm just going to mention one tonight. And I'm going to quickly run by two. And hone in on one. The first one he does mention here is in verse 8. Notice when he says, this persuasion, this viewpoint, this way of thinking about God and his relationship to his people there in verse 8, it's not from him who calls you. The call of God. The very first way to, to recover this freedom is to remember the one who called you. That he calls us out of darkness into his marvelous light, that he calls us in the grace of Jesus, that salvation begins with God, that he pursues sinners. Remember the call of God. That's the first thing. But the second, notice in verse 10, Paul says, I have confidence in the Lord. Remember, Paul spent time with these people They've loved him. He's loved them in return. And here now they're wandering from this gospel. And what's his confidence? It's not in his ministry. He's not despairing over his time spent. It's not in maybe these people might still get it right. It's in the Lord. And there is a a question for us in that. Where is your confidence? If this, what Paul's talking about here about freedom, this gospel freedom, to be Reconciled to God, to know without a shadow of doubt that God, the creator of the universe, looks at you if you're a believer in Jesus, just like He looks at Jesus. If there's a shred of doubt, ask yourself this question Where is your confidence? What do you put your confidence in? That's a very important question to ask because we are all doing that every day. Any number of times and in any number of ways. But the one point here I want to look at with you, how to recover this freedom, is this. Notice here at the very end, Paul says, apparently he was being accused in verse 11 here of still preaching this message of circumcision. But he asked the question, then if that's true, why am I still being persecuted? Why am I still being maligned as an apostle of Jesus? And then he says, in that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. And I want to hone in here on this idea of the offense of the cross. If you are going to recover or experience true gospel freedom, you must first become offended by the cross. The cross of Jesus must outrage you. You must become angry and offended by the cross of Jesus. Here's why. Because the cross of Jesus, the reason you must be offended by it is that it is God's indictment on your best efforts. The cross of Jesus says, you and I are so helpless to rescue ourselves, it took nothing less than the Son of God to die on the cross to save sinners. It is the last hammer in the coffin to our self-righteousness. And every one of us suffers from pride. And the cross and your pride cannot coexist. Either one of them will die to the other. If you want to recover and enjoy this freedom, you must first become offended at the cross. Because only when you are offended by the cross will you begin to see how desperately you need it. And when you begin to see how desperately you need it, then and only then will you begin to see that in the cross is not only offense but it's the love of God in Christ for you. That he would go to such lengths to rescue you, to bring you home. That on the cross, God, his love is displayed in Jesus. On the cross, it is the single greatest source for recovering true gospel freedom. If you need to be freed from your striving, from your fatigue, from your anxiety, from your insecurity, from your pride, the offense of the cross on the way to the love of the cross is the single greatest power that we have. Now, perhaps you can relate to these Galatians who started well, but they're tripping, they're missing it, they're being lured elsewhere. Truth be told, I think that's me most days. Perhaps it's you most days. And we need this message again and again. God wants more for you, and he has provided for you in Jesus. And as we began our worship tonight, Jesus, therefore, invites all of us. Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that you would make it so that we might know this freedom, not just as something that we read on the pages of your word and confess with our lips, but that we know in the depths of our being. Father, we are all prone to listen to the voices in our own heads or to the voices in our culture, to the voices of those with whom we live each day. And while they're mixed with truth and error, we are so prone to believe error and lie and falsehood. And we ask that this freedom for which Jesus has set us free would bring new life into our lives today, that we would know ourselves loved in Jesus. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.